Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to Unfiltered, the podcast show where we call it as we see it. I'm your host, Nikisha Prince-Haynes, and today my guest will be the Honorable Wilfred Abrams. But before Mr. Abrams comes on, let me tell you a little about him. Mr. Abrams is the Minister of Home Affairs. He's also a member of Parliament for Christchurch East. He has been an attorney at law for over 24 years. He's an avid sports person, represented Barbados in fencing and shooting. Mr. Abrams is a charitable minded and spent most of his professional career representing and fighting for the rights of the most vulnerable in society. He is the husband of a beautiful wife. In his leisure time, he enjoyed going to the beach and chilling with friends. He goes by this mantra, those who have have a duty to help those who don't. Good afternoon, Mr. Abrams. I'm welcome to Unfiltered. How are you today? Great. Nice. So let's get started with your interview. How did you get started in your career? Which one? Politics or law? You could give us a bit of both. Politics and law. I fell into law when I was doing A-levels and the A-level exams were approaching. I went to the office at my school, Harrison College, and I asked them for forms for you. And literally, the only forms that they had left in the school office were for law. Mm. So I filled out the law forms. Prior that I had no desire to do law. Quite frankly, at that point in time, I was considering becoming a priest. <laughs> and yes, and I got into law. How I got into politics was kind of similar. I've spent most of my professional career um, doing charitable works. Um, doing pro bono cases for especially women and victims of domestic violence. Mm. And my good friend, Santia Bradshaw, who is now the Minister of Education, she approached me and she said, well, Fred, look, you keep doing all these things with these different organizations. If you really want to make an impact, the best way is to come on board in a position where you can help shape the policy to help those people that you keep trying to help. And she introduced me to Mia Motley, mm. who asked me if I was interested in running. And Santia actually answered that one for me. And the rest of history. Nice. So, so, you know, funny enough, this is the second person that I'm interviewing of recent that had some kind of history or is tied to law. And as I said to my last interviewee, I love law. And when I was younger, I wanted to become a lawyer as well. I wanted to get into business law. So, yes, I started studying. But for some reason, I just fell off track and look what I'm doing now. I'm mentoring, I'm coaching, I have my own business in admin and I'm doing motivational speaking. But there's still this bit of law in me that comes out when I'm dealing with clients and even my own friends and family. And even up to this day, persons tell me, why don't you become a lawyer? And I remember one time I visited a government office to see someone and I was having a chat with her. We were talking about work and possibly mentoring some of her staff and she put forward a situation to me and I answered the situation and I told her my views or rather my opinion on it. So when I finished, she looked at me from head to toe. She said, why don't you become a lawyer? You know, I always wanted to become a lawyer, but for some reason, I don't know. I just think that maybe I'm not meant for it, but kudos to you and indeed, as much as you switch your career from lawyer to becoming a government official or a member of parliament, it still kind of ties in because you're still doing your charitable work, you're still helping persons. So you see, sometimes we have to go through certain situations in order to get where we want to get. So it's all in the process and it definitely ties back. 
I'm still a lawyer. I'm also a lawyer, always a lawyer, and I act as the attorney general. But for you, I would tell you, don't give up on that dream. Right? Law is one of those courses of study that actually attracts mature students. Yeah. And it is never too late to become a lawyer. It's true. I've been told that. You never know. Let's see how life goes. And who knows, maybe with persistency and encouragement, I probably would take it up. And thank God I have you by my side. So how did you make it amidst all of the challenges? Because I know they are challenges and they have been challenges in your, I don't want to say previous career, because like you said, you still practice law. So how did you make it amidst all of the challenges? Um, it depends on how you approach challenges. You can see challenges as obstacles in your path to set you back, or you can see them as chances to overcome and excel. So yeah. I'm a very positively minded person, and I don't expect things to be easy. So I'm not fooled. If I approach a situation or a circumstance, while I might see the outcome I want, I'm aware that things don't always go the way you expect. So once you expect that challenges will arise, when the challenges arise, then you're more than capable of dealing with them. And I, I tend to not get discouraged. If I want something, I go for it. And if things crop up to set me back, then I try to overcome those and still keep on the path. So um, challenges are a necessary part of life. They help you to grow. They help you become stronger. So I, I don't shy from challenges. I look forward to new challenges. I deal with the obstacles as they arise and just keep my eyes fixed on the goal I have set. Nice. So we can safely say that challenges are like stepping stones. Use them to get to where we want to get. Because for me, I did have a lot of challenges in getting to where I am right now. And I know that even though I am where I think I want to be, this is not where I want to stay. I still want to go forward more. I want to reach for more bigger goals and higher goals. And I know there are going to be challenges, but you know, for me, challenges is what makes you strong and it makes you appreciate what you're doing when you get to where you want to get. Because if it wasn't for the challenges, then you would not appreciate it. It would just be like you're just dwindling in that position. So challenges are something that keeps us focused and it keeps us busy as well. What's when one thing you wish you had known before you began your career as a lawyer and as a minister of parliament? Um, one thing I wish I had known before I began as a lawyer is probably the inherent inefficiencies in our system. When you study law and you go through law school, you're taught a theory of law. You don't really understand the practice of it until you come up and really start to work. And that's when you understand that cases do not go as expected. And that's when you understand that cases languish in the system for years. That's when you understand frustration. That's when you understand that claims don't always pay and a lot of things <laughs> get the work done and then hide from you afterwards. So I perhaps wish I had known more about the realities of law before. It would not have stopped me, but it might have better prepared me for the earlier frustrations that I had. Mm. With respect to politics, I wish I had known how completely difficult it is. Um, politics is that area where you go all out for people and, and quite often the person that you work the hardest for don't necessarily appreciate it. Um, it is very difficult to try to balance your home life and politics because if you are if you have a constituency, mine has 9,000 plus people, that is 9,000 plus people who believe they have a right to your time, actually who have a right to your time, who um, you are there as their representative and they feel they should be able to call on you. And that does create difficulties with your home life, balancing home time and constituency time. 
it also makes it very, very difficult for you to know where to draw the line when you start answering the phone, right? If the phone rings at 3 in the morning, do you answer it? It may be an emergency. Sometimes, quite often, it is not. There's people feeling that they, because they're thinking of it at 3 o'clock, they can call you at 3. Um, yeah, it, politics is very, very difficult. I wish I had known how difficult politics and being a representative was going to be. Once again, it would not have stopped me from doing it, but it would have put me in a better position to organize things before actually getting involved in politics. And I believe that most representatives just do not know that they actually find themselves elected in any position. Mm. It's funny enough that you actually jump-started one of my questions because my other question to you was, how, how do you balance your work life and your personal life? Because I know... For me, and I'm not a minister, I'm not a lawyer, it's difficult for me in balancing the two, knowing when to draw the line, when to, who to tell no to, who to tell yes to, and then thinking, if okay, if I tell Nikisha, no, I can't do this, I'm going to upset Nikisha, and if I tell Nikisha, yes, then I'm going to upset somebody else. So how do you like kind of balance that of not trying to upset one person, frustrate one person, because then at the end of it all, from the angle of politics, to get reelected, then you need to be there for each one of your constituency member. But yet, you can't be there for everybody. So how do you kind of balance that off? Well, that one is the second part of that is a little bit easier than the first part. Um, I simply try to help as many people as I can. So whatever resources I put there for me, I spend it entirely on the constituency. I am not one of those people who will hold back stuff that's supposed to be the constituency for my private use. Mm-hmm. And even further than that, we keep raising funds trying to help even more people than what our government given allowance uh, permits us to do. So if I have it and you need it, then I'm going to try to help you. Um, I also am aware that there are a couple thousand other people there who might need help. So I try to help you as much as I can without compromising my ability to mm. give help to somebody else. So my conscience is real clear on that one. With respect to how you balance it, um, in your home life, that is a lot more difficult because if you're trying to help as many people as you can, then it necessarily must intrude on your time. I can't take yeah, the day off on Sunday and say I'm not answering my phone on Sunday and I'm giving that only to my family because your problems are not going to arise only Monday to Saturday. Hmm, so true. if you get a challenge, if your house burns down, if your child gets hurt, if something happens to you that I can give assistance um, to you for, then it is expected that you should be able to reach your representative um, seven days a week. So the difficulty is in trying to carve out time for home. And I haven't yet managed to master that entirely. So, I mean, sometimes you get uh, your family upset. Sometimes your constituents are upset. But you just, you just try the best you can in what is inherently a difficult situation. Hmm. So, if I get this right, you're saying that in order, like, Having certain position as a MP, it's advice. I don't want to say advisable, but yet still I want to say advisable to have that understanding partner and understanding family that knows that hey, um, I can't turn my phone off on the weekends. I have to be there for my constituency members in case of emergency. So it boils down to having that understanding with your significant other so that they will know, okay, well, if there's a call at 3 o'clock in the morning that it has to be an emergency, 
that I have to go out, sorry that I have to postpone family time, etc. But yet still, they're going to be upset because especially from a wife's point of view, you're looking at mm, Sunday is family time. I want to be home with my husband. I want to spend time. We want to go out. But then there's somebody calling in the middle of breakfast or in the middle of lunch, in the middle of a movie, and then they have to step out. So yes, you might be a bit upset, but then yeah, if it's important, you have to understand that duty calls, duty demands, and you have to, you have, you owe it to the constituency to be there for them in times of need in order to be reelected. Because if you neglect your constituency members, then obviously when it's time for re-election, nobody's going to want to re-elect you. So in order to keep that position and keep certain things, you have to do a bit of bending and compromise. So it's, you said as if it's advisable to have a uh, uh, cooperative spouse it is not only advisable, it is critical. It mm. would be impossible, it is impossible to be a good and efficient representative unless you have an understanding partner. Because if your partner does not understand, it makes your ability to deliver to your constituents and to be there for them next to impossible. So you mm. are stressed in not being able to give to your constituents as they expect. Then you're stressed at trying to manage a spouse who may not be happy at the amount of time that you're spending. And Quite frankly, the, the difficult part for most representatives comes not even simply with the time, it's with the money. Mm-hmm. So if my salary is, I don't know, X dollars, mm-hmm. and my allowance that is given to me to spend on my constituents is Y dollars, and I've spent all of the way on my constituents, then your spouse has a right to expect that you're going to bring home your salary and put it into improvements at home, put it into family time, put it into buying things for children, put it into those sort of things. When you start to spend large chunks of your own money, which is what inevitably happens, you start spending more and more and more of your own money trying to meet the the needs of your constituents because you're trying to help them. That is quite often really bulk of the issues coming. So as much of time as time is a factor, right? The Spending of your own resources and even your family's resources to help other people requires a very, very, very understanding partner. Love it. Love it. Love it. What is one of your most exciting or memorable accomplishments to date? Winning the 2018 election. Yay. We lost um, first time running in 2013 and we won by a massive margin in 2018. Sometimes, as you said, we talk about obstacles at the beginning. Right. In 2013, I had work doing, and we, we were unsuccessful. But 2013 showed me all of the things that we did wrong, all the things we took for granted, all the ways we could improve. So our 2018 campaign was a lot different. It was a lot more organized. You didn't just dot the I's and cross the T's, but you dotted the I's and the J's, and anything else could be dotted. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it was... It was almost like an army campaign where you had generals, you had sergeants, you had foot soldiers, you had a quartermaster. So it was perhaps the most organization we've ever put into anything in my life. And the results paid off. So one of the most learning experiences for me was 2018. And it's also one of the most significant things. It's what put me in the house is what allowed me to become a minister. Nice. Nice. I love it. And from that... We can gather that perseverance is the key to success because if in 10 to 13, when losing, you had given up and said, oh, well, 
we lost. I'm not running again. Then you would not have been sitting here in this in this position. You probably be practicing law only still, but through perseverance, you were able to succeed and overcome all those obstacles. And now you have something to look back on and relish on and feel accomplished and well motivated. What I will tell you, being entirely honest with you, after the defeat in 2013, it would have been easy to walk away because at that time I believe I had tried my best. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, although we were beaten, although I was beaten, I did very well for a first time. So when you have over 2,000 people coming up to work for you and those persons walked about in the sun with you and they gave their all for you, then although you're licking your wounds, having lost, you still have to think people showed faith in you and what does that say about you as a person that because mm. you had a setback you turn your back tuck your tail between your legs and you give up um i could never let those people in their face again so in addition to it being a matter of perseverance it's a matter of sometimes people put faith in you and they go out for you and you have to justify that faith you have to stick it up to the same people who stuck it up nice excellent advice as always who or what would you say motivates you that's perhaps the most difficult question ask me. I'm largely self-motivating in that my brain isn't shut off. I keep seeing things that I want to do. I see something I think, how can we do it better? I see somebody that needs help and think, how can I help them? How can I not just help them now? But how can I put them in a position to help themselves? I I like to sleep easy at night and my conscience is, is clear um, the vast majority of the time. And that is the occasion. When I do something that I can see makes a difference to you in your life, then I feel good. I, I guess that is what motivates me more than anything else. Actually seeing things that I do make a tangible difference to people's life. I will use an example. There's a lady who started working with me as a maid um, 20 something years ago in my law office. And we became close. And I assisted in putting her through school. She had no certificate. She had an unfortunate start. Um, she got pregnant and had to drop out of school. And she's now a lawyer. Nice. Right? And that is because somebody showed faith in her and stuck by her and allowed her to get to the point where she could take care of herself and help other people. And she's one of the best young lawyers in Barbados now. So being able to make a difference, to see a child smile when a child is praying, to put a man in a position where he can hold his head up in his house because he's able to provide for his family. To put a woman in a position where her children don't seem like a burden to her, but they seem like a blessing to her. Those are the things that motivate. Nice. I love it. And I must say that, listeners, when I met Mr. Abrams, um, from then until now, he has been you know, that source of motivation and inspiration for me. And I remember, funny enough, that he gave to me a challenge in in rewriting my book. And I guess I exceeded your expectations of rewriting that book. And not only did I exceed his expectations, but I also launched off and branched off into other areas because of him and his source of motivation. Um, and I guess you're seeing the fruits of your labor. But Nikisha, you, you say that you exceeded my expectations. That's that's actually not true. From the time I met you, I found you to be a very determined young person who just... There's some people that just need 
to see that somebody else believes in them as they believe in themselves. You didn't exceed my expectation because you did exactly what I expected you to do. I gave you a challenge and you you met it and surpassed it. So really and truly, I might have been the source of motivation to you, but with your personality, you would have found that source either with somebody else or through yourself or through your own life experiences. So you're one of those people as well that I look at and I smile and see because I've actually seen you progress from the first time I've met you into a way more confident, way more self-assured, way more dynamic person. Thank you. She's blushing, listeners. <laughs> okay. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? I know that, yes, we are dealing with a pandemic and COVID, so it's hard to set goals. But post-COVID, because, I mean, even though, or I should say, we don't know what might be the outcome or the future of the pandemic, but regardless, we at some point in time will have to live through the pandemic if they don't find any cure for it. So, I mean, it's not going to put our lives on hold forever. So we still have to plan for the future. So where do you see yourself in the next five years? Interestingly, my next five years does not even contemplate the pandemic. I mean, I believe that a cure, something is going to be found to help us to, to deal with it. And even if the pandemic or even if COVID is still around, the fact is, we won't be hiding from it in the same way. People mm. learn or are forced to adapt the circumstances that they have to sure. live in. Um, in five years, I want to be that representative that people talk about and say, look at him, that is a representative. I want to be that person whose re-election is secure um, based on the works I have done and the amount of people I've been able to help. I want to be that person that parents say their children, look at him, he's a good example. Follow. That's what I want to be in five years. Nice. You have to be very careful in politics about being <laughs> overly ambitious because then you become a target. But hmm. it's safe to say that I, I would like to be a good example to the children about this. Nice. And keep up the excellent work. What advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career in, let's say, politics? Let's leave out law for now because I mean, everybody, they have a lot of aspiring lawyers, but to be an MP is something like more significant to me. So, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career that in politics? Simple. If you do not deeply love people, don't do it. It is hmm. politics only makes sense. Elective politics only makes sense if you actually care about people. There'll be there'll be rough times. There'll be times when the money is there. There'll be times when the money isn't. There'll be times when you're in government. There'll be times when you're in opposition. There will be times when the economy in a country is doing well and you're able to satisfy the needs of all your constituents. There will be a time when you have to be able to tell your constituents no, that the money is not there. So the circumstances in which you are and remain in politics will change drastically. Right? It can change year by year. I mean, Barbados was playing. We were doing very well at the end of December last year. In mm. January, we were forecasting a great turnaround for the Barbadian economy. And then COVID struck. We don't know what is going to happen. But the one thing that remains constant, if you're representative, is that there's a cadre of people who look to you for support, for guidance, and for representation. And if you don't genuinely love what you're doing and love people, then it will be impossible to get through the difficult times. Right? And you always need to just keep focused that this is what I'm here for. I'm not here for money. I am not here for power. I am not here for prestige. I'm here to make life better for my constituents. Love it. 
I love it. And like I always tell persons, if you don't love what you do, then you will never give up your best. You have to love what you do. Don't just do it for doing its sake or don't just do a job to say, oh, I just want to do this to keep a roof over my head or to pay the bills because it's going to be slam bam, thank you, mom. And that's not good enough of you. So, you know, find your passion. Find what you love. Sometimes your passion might not be something that your family thinks suits you right but it's not about your family it's about you and what you're comfortable doing so find what you love find your passion and just keep on that path so mr abrams if you could step into my shoes what would you have asked yourself that i didn't ask you what question would you have asked yourself and you will answer yourself yes they say you don't answer yourself but you ask the question and you will answer yourself i would have asked myself you asked me initially what um is my life motto? Like what guides me through life? Um, what guides me through life is not the exact same thing that guides me through politics. Hmm. And I would ask if it's a particular thing that guides me through politics. And what I will tell you, uh, an old gentleman once said to me that people are very, very quick to lift you up in politics. People are also very, very quick to tear you down. And he said to me, if it's one bit of advice you could give me, it is spend the government's money, people's money, as if it was your own, and mm. you can't go wrong. And nice. all the time, that's exactly what I, that, that is at the forefront of everything I do, every decision I make, my ministry, every contract we look to enter. If it was my money, would I do this with it at this price? And that quite guides me. Nice. I love it. So in closing, I'll ask you this final question because I really would love to know your thoughts on it. So prior to being the Minister of Home Affairs, you was the Minister of Energy. How that, did that transition work? How does it feel from moving from being the Minister of Energy to now the Minister of Home Affairs? Because that's a big transition. A big, big jump. So um, the Minister of Home Affairs is more of an intuitive fit for me. Um, the Minister of Home Affairs plays to my strengths as an attorney. So we deal with prisons, immigration. Um, disaster management, things that being a lawyer and having legal training actually significantly assist me with. When I was Minister of Energy and Water, I knew nothing about water. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> I'm not scientifically minded. I had to go and learn about mm. energy, learn about renewable energy, learn about hydrology, learn about water engineering, hydroengineering. And although I didn't manage to get on top of it, I started to enjoy it. Right? Um, the shift to Minister of Home Affairs made things a lot easier for me. It's a lot more work, but I'm able to get that work done easier because it comes a lot more naturally to me. And the last thing is that the Minister of Home Affairs, a lot of the decisions center around my discretion as a minister. And I don't have to jump through hoops as I did with energy, going through different boards and, and things like that. So it's easy for me to get things done because it depends on my own decision making. And one thing I'm not afraid to do is to make a decision. Nice. I love it. I love it. And you know, it brings me back to what I said earlier. You have to love what you're doing because if you're in a position and it's not for you, then you feel very uncomfortable. And just as you said, being a minister of home affairs more suits you than being a minister of energy. So it's an excellent transition and I'm glad that you're enjoying your new role. Keep up the excellent work. Continue to motivate. 
and inspire young minds and continue being that caring person that you are. So, Nikisha, before you sign off, can I ask you a question? Definitely. When are you going to write your next book and what's it, what's it going to be about? To answer that question. Stay I, tuned for the next episode, right? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. I did start to write my second book and I'm not going to say the name, but it's also surrounding what I do and I know, like literally after yesterday, my son asked me, Mommy, when are you going to write another book? You can't be an author and write one book. And I'm looking at him at nine years old and be like, really now? You're telling me that I need to write another book. You're nine and you could tell me that writing one book does not consider me or make me an author. I need to write several books. So I did start it, the second book, but because the first book has been so demanding that I really don't have time to continue my second book and now I branched off into motivational speaking and I'm more out there so there are a lot of persons reaching out to me for interviews, for conferences, seminars, etc. And most recently through motivation and inspiration, I started my own podcast and now here I am interviewing you for my podcast show so there's no time to write a book but don't worry. Everybody's going to be surprised. Just like how the first one came out and just a few persons were aware, that's going to happen with the second one. Not a boy is going to know. So, thank you very much, Mr. Abrams. It was indeed a pleasure having you on my show today. I wish you nothing but success in all of your future endeavors. All of them. So, there you have it, listeners. The one and only Honorable Wilfred Abrams. And don't forget to tune in next Wednesday at 12 p.m. for another episode of Unfiltered. Be true to who you are always and stay motivated.